It's kind of awesome to see uh, Joanne uh, up there. Welcome to the praise team. Yeah, she got baptized last week, and now she's on the praise group. I mean, you can't ask for anything more. Amen. So uh, we want to pray for her and pray for them and pray for all our ministries and everybody that makes a commitment to serve the Lord. Man, they need your prayers so they can do uh, the work uh, that God's put on their hearts. So uh, I'm going to have you look up at the screen, and um, we're going to start, as I was saying a minute ago, in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at Ephesians 1. At least we're going to start there. Uh, I think from uh, this particular uh, book that, uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote, I think... For me, at least, and I guess since it's my sermon, I can say this. <laughs> For me, I think the key verse is the one found in chapter 2, where it's in verse 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the no, main thought of this particular um, writing of Paul and his message to this church. There's a lot going on there, but that's the core of what he wants to communicate. Uh, we're going to see a lot about God's grace. We're going to see a lot about salvation, how it works, what it is, why it is, and, uh, and then faith, a very important component of our walk. Uh, faith, uh, as I've mentioned to you before, I learned from uh, my pastor many, 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 many years ago, like 35 years ago, okay? And faith is, as far as what the Bible has to share about it, it's it's kind of, you can use an acronym, it's the ABC is of faith. Well, faith is always, if you look in the Bible, it's about action. It's about belief, and it's about confidence. So it's action based on belief. You're acting out on what you believe. And it's supported by confidence, which is not a one-time event. It's something you confidently do the rest of your life, as we're going to see today. So the ABCs of faith is action based upon belief supported by confidence. ABC. You cannot have the Christian faith without acting on what you believe and sustaining it. All right? People believe a lot of things, but they don't act on them. Right? You could easily say that faith uh, um, moves you if you genuinely have faith in God. It moves you to hang your body on what he has said, on his promises. You're literally putting it all out there. You're surrendering completely to what he has shared in his word. His promises and especially the fact that we must put our faith in the um, redemptive work of Christ if we want to be saved. Amen. He did it. He, Jesus' name means God is salvation. And that is exactly, uh, and without any reservation, that is exactly what it is. It's God is the one who saves. Amen. So this book is kind of about that. So if you look at Ephesians, you look at the name, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, written to a, uh, to a church in the city of Ephesus. Right? And the city of Ephesus is found in modern-day Turkey. So if we jump to the next slide, I kind of took a, the freedom to show you a map. You know why? Because I lived in Turkey for three years. So I'm going to get up here and I'm going to show you guys. My dad was stationed in Smyrna, which is modern-day Izmir. And then we used to go to Ephesus. Notice it's on 
uh, it's, on, it's near the ocean. This is a, the, the Aegean Sea. And so this is where Paul was writing to. He wrote to other churches. You'll see Colossae, Laodicea, it's Philadelphia. There's a lot of churches in what would be um, modern-day Turkey, but then it was known as Asia or in Asia Minor, which was a Roman province. So a little bit of history, is that okay? Because like say, who are they writing to? Those guys right there where it says Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. So uh, something happened to me. Uh, having been raised as an Air Force brat. And my parents took us to see those ruins. Yeah, all you're seeing are ruins. But it's a great experience uh, that uh, I, I'll never forget. Um, and it always, I've always been interested in that ancient city and others. And I was thinking, and this is just extra credit for you parents, it's always a good idea to take your kids to museums to take your kids to these places or even you know, anywhere in California to the missions because history identifies where we came from and why. Kind of hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you came from. You're most likely to repeat the same mistakes, right? History, if not a, uh, a place and a base to learn from, most likely we're to go back and repeat things we shouldn't. So I always think... Um, and I always thank my parents that uh, we were walking around museums all over Europe when I was a kid. And another thing that it does, it opens your mind. Believe me, guys, there's more to the world than Rialto. Believe me. There's more to the world than just Rialto. Rialto is a wonderful place. I know most of you live here. Uh, there's more to the world than uh, Southern California. And Southern California is pretty awesome. A lot of people want to come here. There's just more to the world. And the more you learn, the more effective you'll be in being able to understand how to share the gospel. You have more understanding about people and things and places and ideas and philosophies and even religions. Uh, they're out there, but we need to know how to distinguish ours from the others because we have something really incredible to share. So Paul writes a letter to that church, Ephesus, his, um, his letter is, was written about 64 A.D., so 64 years after, after death. It's uh, any of Paul's letters, uh, they're called epistles, and they're known as the, now you take Paul's name and you call them Pauline, P-A-U-L-I-N-E, Pauline when you are trying to defend a theolo theological position by Paul, it's called, you're called a, it's a Paulinist defense. You're using Paul's writings to defend the faith. So that's a, just a little bit of free stuff for you guys, since we're getting into this book that's, uh, with uh, Paul. Uh, he writes the letter, not really to just one church there, but to a, a number of churches in the area. It gets passed around, okay? You know how you can forward an email or maybe a text? Well, look at it kind of like that. They would copy the letters, send them to another church, right? And then that church would send it to another church. Hey, Paul wrote a letter. You're not going to believe it. Let's all get together and read it. That's what they did. They got together and read it. And eventually, Paul's letters are, inter are presented and recognized as the canon, 
canon meaning the authorized word of God that the church has recognized that, that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he has uh, one, uh, almost a, a little bit over half of the New Testament is Paul's writings, right? So that part right there, all that stuff I just told you, that's all free. No, no, y'all don't, we're not, we're not going to charge. <laughs> but I think it's interesting. Anyone learn anything new? Just with that part? Yeah, Paul's important. Paul is the apostle born out of season. That's how he identifies himself. He was not one of the original 12. Judas is kicked out, but the disciples using lots, they're casting, they're like throwing dice. They pick Matthias. You never read one book written by Matthias. He was the wrong guy. They jumped ahead of God. Paul had, rather, God had Paul in his sights to be the apostle that would replace Judas. Paul would have, on occasion, he would have contention with, especially Peter, because a lot of the original apostles had a hard time breaking away from Judaism. Paul was probably the most learned in Judaism, and in, he was a Pharisee. He, was, uh, he sat at the feet of uh, uh, Gamaliel, which was the top theologian of the time. So of anyone, all of the apostles, he was the most educated. So when he was writing his epistles, he had a couple, especially in Galatians, he had to set Peter right. Peter had a hard time breaking away from circumcision and Sabbath worship and on the day of Sabbath and all those Juda Judaistic laws, if you would. And he said, hey, hold on a minute. We're not in under the law anymore. We're under grace. So this letter is written to a church where there was a large Jewish population. So you would ask, well, where did he go to preach? Well, he went to preach to the Jews, the synagogues. And then, of course, those Jews would convert. Not all of them. There was a riot in Ephesus. They kicked him out. They didn't like him. And there still was a remnant, a small group of people that believed. But Paul got kicked out of Ephesus, ran out. There was a riot. There was, these, the, there was a smith, uh, uh, a silversmith that caused some trouble, Demetrius. All right. So anyway, this is a little bit of background. So this is considered one of his four prison letters or epistles. Does anyone know the other one, the other three? You want to throw it out? This is an open, active uh, sermon. Okay. Anyone know which one of the other epistles were written from prison in Rome? You're going to have three seconds. One, two, okay. Philippians, obviously, right? And also Colossians. And the last one is Philemon, was written from prison in Rome. His three missionary journeys are over. He's in Rome right now. It's as far as his ministry and as far as his life is concerned, the end is near. So I want you to know that Paul is an older man. He has finished those three great missionary journeys. He has founded all these churches. And he's in Rome waiting for his uh, like court hearing. And uh, so he's writing. And if you want to know a little bit of, more about it, I'm going to give you extracurricular reading to do. If you want to know about his writings at the end... And this particular letter, Ephesians, you'll find it in Acts 28 from verse 16 to 31. I was going to read it, but it doesn't, it's just background. 
So I'll, I'll leave it alone for another day. We can probably do something out of this later. Now, uh, Paul, he is um, also, um, he had spent some time there before in Acts 18.23 through Acts 19.41. So if you want to read about when he was actually there in the book of Acts, you'll find it in Acts 18, verse 23 through Acts 19.41. And he was in Ephesus in the year 52 to 55, so like about three years. Okay? But he wrote this in 64. So he's looking back at this church, and he's writing them, before he dies. Okay? Like, that's pretty much the background there. Now, I wanted to do something else. There's an outline. So the next slide would help. And this is kind of how some people break this book apart into the different themes. First, there's the greetings, verses 1 and 2. Then there's the believer's position, so one of the things you're going to hear about is who we, where we are, who we are, and our position, our place with God. And you'll find that in chapter 1, verse 3, to chapter 3, verse 21. So there's going to be a three chapters talking about our position, right? You're going to find also, uh, he mentions a lot, that we're in Christ, and it's important to understand that. Then, notice it says the believers walk. So once we understand our position, right? Once we understand, um, uh, let's say, for instance, the Christian concepts, then we're not just to learn them, we're to walk in them. So you notice it goes from the position, the, Christian, the believer's position to the believer's walk. So what our creed is, our creed meaning what we believe should produce a certain conduct, right? Uh, what we believe creates a certain way we walk. Amen? If you believe it, you, you're going to walk it. If you don't believe it, right? I mean, it, it may sound uh, almost like, for instance, if you go to school to be a doctor, and that's a long a number of years, you just don't keep going to school forever, at some point, you take what you've learned and you put it into what? Practice. <laughs> the same thing with being a Christian. You just don't spend the rest of your life sitting in the congregation. You go from here and do something. You live it. Amen. So the believer's walk is followed by an understanding of your position. Right? And we have a, diff we have a unique and special position with Christ. And then finally, there is a conflict. Christians will face battles. Christians have an enemy. Christians are in warfare. And this is last part there, the believer's conflict, is where we see where Paul encourages this church to put on the whole armor of God. We have weapons. We just don't walk around without a way to defend ourselves and a way to go on the offensive as well as on the, the, the defensive. Amen. And we'll learn about that at the end of the book. And then, of course, like any good book or letter, there's a conclusion. Right? You have an essay, always has an intro, which is the greeting. There's also, once you're done with the body of the, of the letter, in this case, in this point, in this case, there's like three major points that we can look at. Then there's a the conclusion. Amen. So, that's where we're at. 
So let me read, and if you don't mind standing with me, that was a little introduction. Let me just read the first two verses. That's how I'm going to do today. I think there's some words that we need to understand in these first, actually, first two verses. You say, well, how can you preach a sermon out of just two verses? I can. <laughs> I can. Paul. Yeah, well, we've been talking about him. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I'll read the last verse, verse 3 too, just to add to it. Blessed, it's not up there though. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice the word in is used a lot. That's important. In. You're in something. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this time that we're going to take to learn about um, this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And our prayer, Lord, is that we would grow in an understanding about, about our faith and, and about how we should... Um, how we should walk, um, what we should do. And you don't leave us in the dark. It's very specific and a clear message, Lord, if uh, we pray, Lord, that if, if you would help us with, with the Holy Spirit and, and with your grace to, to understand the simplicity of the gospel while at the same time how profound it is, considering, Lord, the options that we have without Christ. So we thank you, Father, and we ask you all this. Uh, may it be a blessing to us as a church and individually, and we thank you uh, ahead of time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Okay, so uh, first couple verses. We know who Paul is. Anyone remember his name before he was converted? Saul. Saul means destroyer. He was a destroyer in, in every sense of the word because he tried to destroy the church. He was a radical religious uh, fanatic for the Jewish religion. And you know, he went around trying to arrest Christians. And he was there um, when uh, Stephen was stoned. Uh, by not stopping it, he was, he was a conspirator, if you would. right? He was, uh, uh, he was supporting it. And then he was on his uh, way uh, to Damascus, Paul, uh, where he had an experience on that road and a radical transformation. So just submit, this is Paul, that, that Paul, right, who used to be called Saul. Uh, he says here, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So how does he describe himself? What is he? He's a what? He's an apostle. And why is he an apostle? Because it's the will of God. Right? So we know this to be true. That is, he was an apostle. Um, by the will of God because of, of that experience that he had on the road to Damascus. That experience shows us physically what happens spiritually. So in this case, he's on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus. a couple days journey. Uh, and uh, he's got a, a group of people with him. 
And then all of a sudden, this bright light shines down. You'll find it in Acts chapter 9. And knocks him down, if you would, and blinds him. And he hears a voice, and he says, uh, it says, Saul, Saul. Uh, and he's like, yeah, yes, Lord. He knows it's something divine. And he goes, why are you persecuting me? So the whole story is found in, in Acts 9. I'll let you guys read that one on your own. But there's something important. He's identifying himself as an apostle because the Lord arrested him. <laughs> He's going to arrest people? Surprise! God arrested him. He says that, I have not yet attained that for which I was attained. Or I have not yet, in Philippians, I have not yet apprehended that for which I was apprehended. But I press toward that. I want to understand why God got a hold of me. And I want to get a hold of that reason. That's in Philippians. The other le one of the other letters he wrote from prison. So here's the, the, the irony. He's going to arrest people and yet gets arrested. He surrenders to Christ over this radical transformation of this light and the blindness. He has to go into Damascus and there's a, uh, a man there who's going to touch him and give his sight back to him. Ananias, one of the brothers and one of the leaders of the church in Damascus. And just for a little bit of context, when uh, Ananias touches him as, as the Lord instructed him to, he said, the Lord says to him, because they were, they were afraid of him. Because after, uh, after all, this is the guy that's arresting them. And they're hearing now that Paul has been converted and they don't believe it. They're like, that crazy lunatic got saved? <laughs> He's a Christian now? So they were a little bit concerned and the Lord said, no, don't be. He's one of mine. And look what he says to Ananias, the Lord, in Acts 9.15. He's a chosen instrument of mine. Who's a chosen instrument of the Lord's? Paul. That's what apostle means. So God chooses Paul to be an instrument Apostle, and he says, look what he says in verse uh, 15 of Acts 9. To carry my name before the Gentiles, that's why he goes to Ephesus, as we saw on the map. That's a Gentile territory, one of the cities he went to. And before kings, well, that's why he was in Rome. He was going to actually be speaking to the emperor of Rome. For He had a petition for a presence with the uh, Roman emperor because he was arrested illegally in Jerusalem, because they were treating him as though he were not a Roman citizen. And he was. He's a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. And so he appeals to Caesar, and Caesar is going to hear his case. So he did appear before kings and the children of Israel. He preached many sermons in Jerusalem and many sermons throughout the Roman world to the synagogues where there were Jews. Right? For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So when he says apostle, that means a, uh, that brings into uh, our minds this verse that he's a chosen instrument. And the apostle, word apostle, apostolos, which is in Greek, means literally sent one. He was sent by God. He was arrested or apprehended by God, chosen by God to be an instrument for God to go to the world, to preach the gospel, and he was sent. He was sent. 
anyone behind a pulpit. You know, I'm going to put myself in the target here. Anyone behind the pulpit, teaching or preaching, if they don't believe they're sent by God, they should step down immediately. And if you as a congregation don't believe they were, you need to move them. There's not any place for anyone to be that hasn't been sent by God. I'll say it that boldly. Because I'm not afraid of the, the consequences. See, I, I also ran from this calling. When I was, God tapped on my heart many, many years ago. I, I ran from it. I don't want it. And he also found me. You can't beat God. You can't win and fight God. He'll wear you out. And he knows especially how to wear you out. Specific to you. And Paul is one of those who attacked the church. And in many of his writings he refers to that he was the least of the apostle and the chief of sinners because of his persecuting the church. He always felt and never forgot where he came from and how the Lord had radically changed his life. We are also not just the Apostle Paul. Any of us who have come to Christ have been also miraculously transformed and saved. Mostly spiritually. Most of us won't have these kinds of lights shining down on us. Just not common. It, ha it can happen because with God, nothing's impossible. Our radical change is internal. We know something's going on. He's speaking to us. And we, at some point, we don't even know it's him, but we know there's something. And then somewhere in there we go, yes, Lord. We, we, we answer. We don't know much, but we know something different. Uh, we can't just run off into the world anymore because he's a hound dog. Now, I don't mean that in a literal sense he pursues us because he's called us Paul is one of those so you see like in verse 1 I could stay there for a while <laughs> right apostle of whom Christ Jesus why it's the will of God God has a purpose and a will for each of our lives and it's our job to discover it he'll reveal it but it's also our job to cooperate and ask, what do you want me to do? Because that's what Paul asked in the road to Damascus when this happened. So Paul is an apostle. What, again, what does apostle mean? Starts with an S. Sent one. So then in Romans, he develops that whole idea in a beautiful way. And he says in Romans 10, 13 through 17, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Very important verse in the Bible. How are you saved when you call on the name of the Lord? You say like Jesus, which means Savior. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are we going to call on the one we don't even know about or believe in? And then he says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Well, you've got to hear about it. That's what I'm doing right now. You have to hear about it. Hear it from what? And it says, how they, uh, are they to hear without someone preaching? Hi. Hello. Preacher. And how are they to preach unless they are, what? Sent. Sent. Sent by God. 
Oh, it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. That doesn't mean that everyone who preaches the gospel has beautiful feet. It's, the idea here is that they're taking the gospel. What a privilege to use your feet as an instrument to take the gospel. How beautiful that God would send someone who walks or runs or however they get there. Is tra- transport, they're, they're transporting the gospel. They're sharing the gospel. How beautiful is that? My feet are not that beautiful. It's not a literal translation there. It's, it's a simile. It's like taking it. Beautiful that you walk from there to here. How beautiful that you went to Ephesus and you went to Philippi and you went to Colossae. Beautiful man that brings the gospel that if I were to call upon the name of the one who I have not believed in, but now I do because I heard of him and I'm saved because I cried out, Jesus, forgive me. You said if I asked, if I confess, you would. Here I am, confessing. Right? Why do we make it so, so difficult? Why do we make it so complicated? It's not. It's an encounter with his word. And say, so we see, so how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Again, this is Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, who has believed what he has heard from us? So Isaiah was saying back to Israel who was not receiving God's message of repentance. He was saying, well, who, they haven't all obeyed. Yeah, they haven't all obeyed. You get to choose if you're going to obey. And uh, he's asking the Lord, that is Isaiah in verse number 16. Lord, who has believed what ha- he has heard from us? If you believe, raise your hand. You can answer the question for Isaiah. I have. And guess what? My favorite verse of the Bible and my argument as a pastor all the time, and I mean my position, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. You can't get faith without hearing. It's not a magic potion. There's no wand I shake at you. Now don't go like this. You have to hear God's word. You have to let it sink into your heart. And you have to accept whether or not it's true. And if it is, you say yes. And that's faith. That's how it works. So by the way, if there's a preacher, right? Then who are the hearers? Those are disciples. A person who hears the message becomes a disciple and he's a learner. A disciple means a learner. We become learners. Paul became a learner. He learned the truth about God from Jesus himself in Arabia. Go back, uh, back to Galatians. He spent 20 years being taught by Christ before he started his ministry. Go back and check that. And then he goes out and fulfills this commission that was given to him and he publishes the truth to all the then known Roman world. And now he's writing to the Ephesians. Right? Who are the recipients? In other words, who uh, is this letter written to? Well, if you look at verse uh, 1, it says, To the saints. 
right? Who are in Ephesus. So the, the word saints does not mean what most people think. There are no halos over these saints' heads. Halos? There are no saints like that according to the Bible. So what is a saint? Okay, the word is the same word used in English, holy. So wherever you see the word saints, wherever you see the word holy, it's the same word in Greek, but two different words in English. Thus the problem with the language interpretation or translation, and those of you that speak two languages know that it's easy to confuse things if you try to go literal sometimes. Saints means hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S, Greek for what? Separated ones. Saints are people that have been separated. How are they separated? They're separated by God's grace. They're separated by the fact that they believe in Jesus' sacrificial death. They're separated from sin to righteousness, from life to death, from darkness to light. There's a separation. We have been separated, therefore we're saints. So I'm going to give you an example of a saint. There's like, I don't know, 15 pencils in here. They all look the same, don't they? Do you see them? So the idea comes also from the Old Testament where there were like, for instance, utensils, candlesticks, a table, an Ark of the Covenant, just things. All those things like the table, the showbread, the, the, the candlestick, all those things are like any other table and candlestick, except for one distinction. What is it? They've been separated for the use of the Lord. They belong to the Lord. So we are like a humanity, a, just a crowd of pencils. When God takes one out and says, this is mine, this is a holy pencil in every sense of the word, a hagios pencil. A saint pencil. Why? Because the word means separated. These are all just common pencils. They don't, they don't belong to the Lord. This one does, and it looks just like those, except there's one big difference. It's the Lord's pencil. It's chosen by the Lord. Another meaning for separated. Right? That's who you are. If you put your faith in Christ. You are separated. Separated, oh, what are we saved from or separated from? We're separated from the consequences of sin, which is condemnation. We're separated from darkness. We're taken, separated from something to something. We're separated from unrighteousness to righteousness. We're separated from life to death. Uh, I mentioned those things already. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. That's a unique, so remember I told you at the beginning, Paul's going to talk a lot about position. Who are you in Christ? You're separated. And Paul takes it a little bit further when he talks about his apostleship, because each one of us are separated for something different. Not everyone is a hand. Some are feet. Paul would say that to the Corinthians. Can everyone be a mouth? Can everyone be an eyeball? What a weird looking body that would be. It's like the body, each part has a special reason and purpose. Same thing when God separates you for himself. 
We all have a unique place or position in Christ. Okay? Someone would say, well, Pastor, this is so simple. No, it's not. Because you have to believe it. You have to believe it to the point to where you allow yourself to be that instrument. So he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus, right? And who else is he writing to? To, to those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. So the separated ones at this place called Ephesus, oh, the map's gone, and are faithful. The idea here is that once you are separated or once you have been saved, the idea is to be faithful. <laughs> right? Where? Let's go to the next passage, uh, Eric. Faithful where? Where? In who? In Christ Jesus. We're to be faithful to Christ. Not faithful to Pastor Robert. You don't owe me a thing. Except, except respect for the calling as a pastor. An under-shepherd. But your loyalty, your allegiance is to Christ. You don't have to confess to me anything. As some believe. You confess directly to the great high priest, mediator of our, of our faith, Christ. He's the one we confess to. Faithful, right? And here's the interesting part. Our faithful in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, as long as you live. You think that's just for marriage? No, marriage borrows that idea from Christ in the church. Right? So, to where are believers faithful? In Christ. You are in Christ. When the Father sees you, He sees Christ. That's, a, that's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the difference between you and any other common pencil. This one belongs to the Lord. And so do you. That's amazing. If you get that, it changes everything. It makes all the difference. Because you know who you are. So, Paul then, when he says that they're in Christ Jesus. See that part right there, right before the end of verse 1? He is going to spend so much time in this letter talking about the position we're in. The position we're in. We're in the beloved, he'll say, in another place. Where are we? In Christ Jesus. So then he goes on to verse 2. You guys never thought I would be done with verse 1, huh? Okay. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the source of all these blessings are from where? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our blessings are from God. That's what I read. And notice the order. He says grace to you and 
Then he says peace. There's a reason why it's that order. Notice the order. Grace first. Then peace. Let me say that together. Grace first. Then peace. See, people want peace without God's grace. It's impossible to have peace without God's grace. You can't have it. It only comes as a product of you knowing and living in His grace. So, People of the world is going to crying out for peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace in their nations, among the nations, in their neighborhoods and cities. Right? They're, 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 the subjects uh, of peace is written in a, who knows how many books. Right? Peace of God, or this peace that he's referring to, is not something that man can devise. It's, uh, it's not fabricated through treaties. It's not available b- through your own human efforts. You'll never find this inner peace in your soul until you find God's grace. Better yet, until it finds you. Because it's from the Lord. There's never going to be an enduring peace. Uh... Until man learns about God's grace and then humbles himself. See, because once you learn of it, you have to appropriate it. You have to accept it or receive it. So there's a verse in in John's Gospel, chapter 1. As many as receive Christ. Well, I got to do something? Yeah. You got to act on faith. You got to receive Christ. If you're receiving Christ, you're receiving the Prince of Peace. Yeah, there's where the peace comes from. But you receive Christ because that's only available through His grace. It's unmerited favor. So He offers it. You have to receive it appropriate. Then when you appropriate it to yourself, that grace, then peace follows. And that's what the problem is. We want to do things backwards. Right? So God's grace revealed in the gospel is what we receive. And then peace follows. Amen? So he's the Prince of Peace. He's the one who gives us peace because he lives in us. It's not a formula. Okay, brother, I want you to take step one and then once you do step two, you're going to go to step three and then you're going to go to ten steps. No one's ever transformed that way. It's an act of God that changes your heart. You can't change your heart. You, all he can do is transplant a new heart in you. He takes out the stony heart, as Jeremiah would say, and he gives you a heart of flesh that's moldable, pliable. You know, I used to work with clay. For my degree, for whatever reason, I had to take an art, a fine art class, and I can't draw. I do stick people pretty good. I can't sing, so I didn't go to the choir. I couldn't play an instrument, so I, could, I know how to go like this. You know, that's about a good deal. So they said, you want to try ceramics? I go, okay. Man, I learned so much in that ceramic class about my heart. Sometimes when you go to grab the clay, if it's the wrong time, you waited too long, it's hard as a rock. And no matter how much water you pour on it, it never works again. It's ruined. You just throw it away. 
Then you go, and there's different kinds of clay. There's red, there's gray, there's all kinds of different colors. And it, it have different textures. But the idea is that when it's fresh, you slam it on the wheel. As Jeremiah has an example in his book about the Lord talking about how Israel is a lump of clay. And he starts to spin the wheel. You do it like a foot kick. Now they got electric motors, which I hate. I like the one where you kick it. And then they literally, you take the clay. It's like the Lord takes your heart and he goes, Bam! And you're like, why does he do that? Because he's going to mold you and you have to be submissive. And he starts to shape it. He starts, you push in, you can use it. There's different instruments that they give you. Some are little scalpels and different forms and shape. You drive them in and then you push them out and then all of a sudden this image comes out. You go inside of it and you can open up the clay. I did it. It was really cool. I got some stuff at home. If you guys want to see it, I'll bring it. Yeah, right. No one here is raising their hand. God works with our hearts. He'll change our hearts. And when he does, and you let him in, there's a peace that passes all understanding. The world cannot give it to you. But you can have it when you say yes to Christ. He comes in. And he makes his abode, if you will. The word abode means he lives in you. And that's what this letter is about. He's going to let us know our position. First, we're in Christ. Right? Those that were uh, following this first couple of verses. And then he ends, and I didn't really write it up here. But I'll finish it with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he, we bless Him for what He did through His Son Christ. Revealing His Son Christ to us. Allowing His Son Christ to be born again and die as our Savior. And we talked about that of course on Easter Sunday, right? Last week, Resurrection Sunday. And He rose from the dead. And it says, who has blessed us. Verse 3, it's not up there but I'm reading it. In Christ Jesus, notice the word in, where are we blessed? In Christ Jesus. With every spiritual blessing. It's every spiritual blessing. Is there anything missing? It says every. It didn't say some, it says every. Every spiritual blessing we can receive. And then he says, in the heavenly places. In God's view, we're already seated in heaven. Although we're here. He sees us in Christ. Where's Christ? At the right hand of the Father. He sees us in His Son. When we begin to see who we are, our position, then we move to the second part of the letter, verse, around chapter 3, then we understand what we're supposed to do. But if we don't understand who we are, we'll never do what we're supposed to do. That's my message. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday, hopefully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. This is uh, initially pretty basic. But really, honestly, Lord, there's nothing ever basic when it comes to your word. Uh, help, the, um, help the message, Lord, to uh, penetrate our hearts. Help us to hear it so then faith can... Uh, arise in our hearts faith can be sparked in our hearts and, and that that faith lord will cause us lord to enjoy so many blessings
And that faith will allow us and prompt us and motivate us to act in such a different way. So we just pray, Lord God, that you would continue to bless our time together. Um, and most importantly, Lord, let Christ be glorified. Let Christ be honored in everything we do and say. And we ask it in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to have our, our offering right now. If who's going to help me out? I got Sam back there, maybe. Osvaldito. I'll pray for the sermon. Or for the offering, sorry. <laughs> I'm just glad the Lord knows where I am because half the time I don't know where I am. <laughs> See, you can have fun when you belong to Christ. You can even make fun of yourself and it's all good. Because you know you got, he's got your back. doesn't matter what, how goofy you are. Right? <laughs> right? It's a wonderful serving him. Let's pray for the offering. Father, thank you. We know that everything we have, our jobs, uh, our skills, and whatever it is that allows us to be able to earn an income, or wherever it comes from, is a gift from you. So we want to simply return to you Lord, that portion that belongs to you, we ask you to bless the giver. Uh, we ask you to bless those that are going to use it. Uh, may it be always for the furtherance, for the extension of your kingdom, Lord, and the gospel. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>